Welcome back, Acipians. I'm privileged to have Miles Day on today. I recently had an opportunity to have a meetup with a number of folks, and Miles was there. Uh, Miles is an educator. He's been at Texas Tech teaching over 20 years. He's a full professor and followed some huge shoes to fill, Dr. Gabor Rack. So, as everyone knows, Texas Tech is a leading institution for training and development of pain management as we know it. Adhesiolysis, uh, use of uh, extensive fluoroscopic observation, and remember, we all know depth, direction, depth, direction. Thanks, uh, Dr. Gabor Rex, that saved, saved me many times. Um, and we teach many of the principles that were developed at Texas Tech uh, today in our uh, cadaver courses, and, uh, and we lecture extensively about the work of Gabor Rax. But today, I'm going to have Miles take us through kind of an interesting discussion and pull back the curtains a little and let him talk about what, what it's about to be trained and become competent and able to sit for the board exam. I think it's uh, remarkable that there's a number of training institutions in the country, I think Miles said it was like 90-something, that treat and um, they qualify fellows who took an extra year of training in the fine art of pain management and interventional work. It's uh, then the responsibility to move on and take the board test, uh, pass that test, and uh, enter the world of pain medicine. What's even uh, more <laughs> humbling, I guess, is there's only 300-some that come out every year. And you think about a country of 300 million? Come on. <laughs> we we got to look up to guys like uh, Miles uh, with a huge load of responsibility uh, to get these folks launched and to see a lot of people and give uh, care of the highest level to those that suffer uh, the most, and that's uh, from debilita- debilitating diseases such as cancer pain, uh, failed back surgery syndrome, and other painful conditions. Uh, just think, you know, CRPS, we're, we're moving forward on it. We're moving forward. We're starting to think about pain from inside out as opposed from outside in. We're having better success with interventional techniques, newer interventional techniques, and in medications. Uh, so it's an evolving field. Um, folks like uh, uh, Dr. Dake have to keep up and keep these residents abreast of, of safe and effective ways of approaching one of the most common complaints in a doctor's or healthcare provider's office, I hurt. So uh, I, I had the opportunity to sit with them for quite a while and and let them talk to you all about some of the things we've talked about the challenges the rewards um and really uh what we might expect looking forward leaning forward where we're headed where is this specialty headed it's not going away because we have two crises we have an opioid crisis we all know that it's really a fentanyl heroin crisis and we have uh 
a pain crisis. And we have interventional techniques and we have strong techniques utilizing uh, pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics in therapeutic options in combination or single therapy to minimize risk, improve function, and quality of life. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, let uh, Miles take us down down the journey of uh, 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 fellowship that he sees in his perspective at one of the premier institutes in the world. So let's get to it. Friend of the show, Miles Day. Uh, Dr. Day is uh, a very well-known internationally, uh, I guess you'd say vetted pain physician, uh, uh, known throughout the pain community um, by face and name because he's trained many, many folks. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And it's basically um, the, the cool thing about what he does. And what is that? Uh, as Dr. Hansen says, I'm a uh, pain management uh, fellowship, fellowship director at Texas Tech University Health Science Center in Lubbock, Texas. I've been training pain management fellows for the last uh, 20 years. I'm a professor there. And uh, t- today's topic is a really good topic because um, the question is what what is a or who is a properly um, trained pain management physician? I tell doctors that when they make referrals, they have to know who they're referring to and what their credentials are of the doctors they refer to. Because one pain management physician is not like the next pain management physician because uh, there's a lot of different training. So I'm in the business of taking residents who have completed a residency and they spend a year with me and learn how to uh, properly assess, diagnose, and uh, learn how to interventionally treat uh, patients with various types of pain. I've talked about this before. Um, The location of a residency or fellowship um, is very deceiving to some folks. Um, A lot of folks think uh, you've got to be at Yale New Haven or you've got to be somewhere in Maryland or New York City. But the fact of the matter is uh, this is one of the premier, I guess, Ferrari-level training programs in the world. Um, It's a legacy program that nurtured uh, Dr. Gabor Rax, uh, one of the fathers of pain medicine, and um, Miles, under his tutelage, took over. That's correct. Um, when you look at the United States, the uh, American College of Graduate Medi- Medical Education uh, has approximately 90 to 95 uh, pain management programs that they're certified. So every year, about 300 uh, physicians who have decided to pursue another year of training uh, undergo go to one of these programs where they learn how to do what I previously said, assess and diagnose and treat uh, pain patients. And so every year we graduate around 300 uh, physicians who are able to sit for the board exam with added qualifications pain management offered by the American Board of Anesthesia. Nationally, that's nationally. Nas- that's yeah. nationally. Uh, so the certifying exam is through the ABA or the American Board of Pain or F- Physical Medicine Rehabilitation or the American Association of Neurology and Psychiatry, which it's all the same exam, just given by different boards. Yeah, it, we have two crises going on, and it's, it's a dichotomy for us because we have a opioid crisis, which is really a fentanyl heroin crisis, and we have a pain management crisis. 
So that's why it's so important that the training that the pain management physician has and the certifications add up because the last thing we wanted to be doing is uh, throwing uh, spaghetti on the wall and seeing what sticks. You said it earlier, and he really did a great lecture today. It's funny. He's a funny guy. Um, he said it. He said it is absolutely true. Um, what you have to have is a diagnosis. So work me through it from diagnosis to how you go where. Well, first, uh, which is key, is to take a good history. I mean, we learned this in medical school. We follow that up in residency. Ask the right questions uh, that are uh, pain complaint specific. Uh, of course, most commonly is low back pain. And do a good detailed history. Uh, which, of course, you know, is typically a musculoskeletal history, a neurological exam. Um, and then take those two things, look at the available radiological studies that have come with the patients, and you come up with an assessment. Uh, once you make an assessment, you have to develop a plan based on that assessment. If you don't make an assessment or a diagnosis, you can't make a plan. Mm-hmm. And once you make that plan, you can decide what type of treatment is appropriate for the patient. So you have to develop medical necessity for what you want to do. If you don't take a good history, if you don't do a good exam, if you don't have a good diagnosis, what you may want to use to treat the patient will not be approved because you have not established medical necessity. So that's always key because you always have to have a diagnosis. You've got to know what you are treating uh, in order to make the best plan. Yep, and that's why it's rule two in my five rules. You have to have a diagnosis. Yeah, okay, so next comes the physical exam. This is the most challenging thing for later developed and trained uh, professionals because uh, with all the scans and all the ease of uh, the technology that we have, we forget to touch. That is very correct. It's it's interesting that uh, our, our program is a tertiary care facility, and I remember a few instances where patients were presenting to the clinic as a second opinion and uh, one notably one was a patient with pelvic pain and when I asked the patient well what exactly did the previous physician do did they take a look at this examine this and they said no they just kind of mashed on my stomach and that was it and this was a patient who presented for pelvic pain it's like if they present for a, a specific complaint you actually need to examine that area so you're right you know it seems like Physicians are relying more on studies as opposed to the physical exam to make a diagnosis, and you've got to lay hands on a patient in order to assess it. That's correct. And then, what do you? Okay, what do you do to convey to your um, fellows, residents, that um, the, the next step from history, physical, medical decision making, uh, medical necessity is to go to the development of a mature and evidence-based, mostly, um, a plan. I mean, how, how do you teach them a plan? Well, there's pretty well-established algorithms of treatment for the different ailments that we treat. And so you don't, you want to follow those. And everything starts with conservative therapy. Uh, what is conservative therapy? Well, it includes physical therapy. Uh, may include medications. It may include cognitive behavioral therapy or some of the psychological things uh, that are necessary to help treat pain. And then you progress on to typically minimally invasive procedures if the conservative therapy uh, does not alleviate the pain or partially alleviates the pain. And 
a minimally invasive procedure could be an epidural steroid injection. It could be a sacroiliac joint injection. It could be trigger point injections. And then um, at the, every time you do a procedure, you have to reassess the patient after the procedure, whether it's in one week, two weeks, four weeks, reassess, see if what you have done has alleviated the pain or partially alleviated the pain, and uh, go on from there. Yeah, and th- I get this all the time. Shouldn't I get another MRI? My pain's change, Or shouldn't I go see a surgeon? Because uh, you give that great line about a bulging d- disc. I'm, I'm giving it to you. <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting with um, uh, the, the, the number, in my humble opinion, uh, too many MRIs are ordered, or CT scans of MRIs are not being able to done in a particular patient. If most patients don't need a new MRI, what they need is a reassessment. And, and if you have to retake a history, redo the exam to confirm your previous diagnosis or to discover a new diagnosis, you don't need an MRI. I see, so many times I see delays in treatments because uh, uh, primary care physicians will see a patient assess the patient, the patient will come and say, well, my back hurts. They'll do a limited exam and say, oh, let's get an MRI. You get the MRI, there's a bulging disc. And as Dr. Hansen was saying, I say, what's a bulging disc? It's, it's a disc, it's like having a hamburger patty that's slightly bigger than a hamburger bun. It doesn't mean that much. If you've got a normal exam um, with a pain complaint, you don't need that MRI. But they get the MRI, they say, oh, you've got a bulging disc. You get referred to the surgeon. The surgeon looks at it and goes, uh, well, you need physical therapy, or you need to go see the pain management physician. So the patient get, gets referred to the pain management physician, and we say, oh, you need physical therapy. So we've spent about two or three months uh, kind of wandering around uh, when the patient needed to go, you know, go to physical therapy. So MRIs are appropriate, but they don't make diagnoses all the time. you got to take a good history, do a good exam, look at your studies, like I said earlier, and make the diagnosis. Now, and what is, tell me what July 1st is like as opposed to June 30th. June 30th is when my one group of fellows completes their fellow, one-year fellowship, and July 1 is when the new group of fellows starts their fellowship. So it's always a real fun time because <laughs> you're taking uh, physicians who have completed their residency and are now wanting to do that fellowship. Fortunately, uh, the residents typically have about two or three months of uh, chronic pain management under the belts at their respective uh, institutions. But it's a time of lots of uh, learning, lots of education, learning new systems, learning new EMRs. Um, Supervision. Yeah, supervision. But what I tell my fellows and the applicants is that at our institution, we don't have training wheels So you don't get to put on the training wheels and ride with those for four to six to eight weeks and then gradually take off the training wheels and learn how to ride the bike without the wheels. Or we don't wade into the kiddie pool. We actually dive into the Mariana Trench. Uh, I tell fellows that all of the procedures they have on day one are their procedures to get back to me to do. If the fellows are prepared, they study, they look, they have an idea of what they're doing, we get to do the first procedure together. Or maybe the second. Why, why'd you pick academics? I think it picked me. Um, 
I was fortunate to have been trained by uh, Gabor Ratz and Prithvi Raj, yeah. two of the fathers of, of modern yeah. pain medicine. And I figured it out during my res- or residency and fellowship that I, I think I'm a good teacher. Um, so I stayed within academics. And honestly, you can't learn everything in a year. And so spending more time with uh, both of those gentlemen, it's almost like doing a postdoctoral fellowship. You get, to, you get to spend more time with them and learn from them. And it sort of just carried on from there. I like educating young minds, uh, trying to help them think. I never give uh, residents and fellows the answer that they ask. I make them think because I give them the answer. It's too easy. Yeah. If you help them think it through, they're going to remember so it was more, I think it picked me. I think I do a good job. And so far, I've been able to train upwards of, it's about a little over 90 fellows in the last 20 years. That's a lot. That is a lot. You know, the, I guess the glorification of medicine and medical training uh, by TV is uh, it's an altering experience to young people. And I know you as an educator have – you've kind of seen it all, and you've pulled people back from the brink. Um, I'm talking about residents and fellows. And you've taught them, you know, incredible skills to have. They're going to take for the next 25 years of their career. But when you have a, a younger person, say they're in their mid-teens, uh, they're watching these TV shows – and I get that. I hear this. Um, I want to go to medicine because um, of X, Y, Z. So if you had one of these teens, I'll call them millennials. I don't know what they're called these days. But if you had one of these teens say, I want to go into medicine because it's blank, um, and they have this kind of distorted impression how difficult it is, how much responsibility there is and how much training there is, what would you tell them as an educator? Well, I'd tell them, you know, they've completed about 11 or 12 years of school already. If they want to get to the point of being a physician, whatever type of physician, it's going to be a minimum of another 11 to 17 years of school. Can you do that? Um, and, yeah, I think the television shows, they always see the, the, the exciting parts of things. They don't see really um, the parts of the TV shows that they don't, they don't show, like, you know, lack of sleep and, and, and uh, doing lots of things that lead up to the, quote, unquote, exciting parts of medicine. There's a lot of background things that have to be done. Um, it's challenging. But at the same time, um, you have to accept guidance. You know, can you be taught I think there are some folks that um, are difficult to teach. Mostly, a lot of them are able to teach. Uh, can they accept criticism? Um, harsh like, criticism. Harsh criticism. Like Because basically, well, not basically, we are taking a patient's life into our hands. Uh, the thing, pain doesn't kill people, but it sure makes their life miserable. And um, you've got to be able to, to accept that. You've got to work hard. Uh, you have to have compassion, of course. Um, I try to get to know patients as people, not just as diagnoses, which has happened a lot of times. I think governmental regulations, you know, kind of can get in the way of yeah, education. <laughs> um, but we do our best with what we have. If they're ready to, to do that and they feel like they can do that, then 
Um, only time will tell how, how they will survive. All right. So you're a leader in education, and your institution is as well. Um, where do you think you ought to take it the uh, next 10, 15 years? I think the next 10 or 15 years, uh, it's already an exciting time in pain management. Uh, what we need to do is to be able to really, I think, is to get our – uh, our governmental administrators and, and to understand what we do and that it's valuable and that's you know as you were saying earlier with the opiate crisis and the pain crisis uh, the battle on the opiate crisis has left a bunch of unintended consequences if one is it's leaving patients suffering as an interventionalist we have therapies that we can utilize to help patients but we're having problems with insurance companies approving what we want to do um, because hey, there's, there's not enough evidence. So we're kind of stuck in between not being able to prescribe some medications that may help, not being able to do procedures uh, that may help, and what, are we, what do we need to do? So I think educating you know, the uh, insurance companies and um, uh, our government is, is, is key to get them to understand uh, what we do, because we're perceived as, you know, oh, you're a pain management doctor, oh, you write narcotics. That's yeah, not what right. we do. Um, some doctors may do that, but we have lots of therapies to offer patients, and we need the opportunity to be able to do that. Uh, to, um, but I think education is the most important thing, not just currently with you know with educating physicians, but educating those who somewhat control what we do. Well, okay, let's round it out. Um, what what would you uh, what would you say for your closing comments? Pain medicine is going somewhere over the next ten years. Um, on the private end here with me and my colleagues, we are seeing roadblocks thrown up, and we're seeing unreasonable requests made of us uh, to control costs but give incredible care, and sometimes we're stuck in the middle. I mean, something's got to give. I know in the academic centers you do get, you get a lot of funding, and that's fine, but you're also strapped because you, you have to see all comers. Yeah, that's right. I- what we need to see is more physicians getting involved in the process of talking to the powers that be that, that govern what we do. Frequently, you'll get doctors say, well, you know, so-and-so's not paying for this. What are you going to do about it? It's like, well, what are you going to do about it? Well, I'm kind of busy. You know, you, yeah. doctors have to get unbusy. Uh, if they want something to be done, they've got to get involved uh, especially at the political level. And it's not just it's not just money. It's actually physical time taking out of your practice to go talk to your congressperson and to educate them. And if, if they're educated, they're able to make better decisions. So physicians, uh, physician extenders uh, have to get involved and take time to do that. You know, there may be... You know, less than 1% of, of, of well, any specialty who's willing to take the time to do that. We need more because some of us can't carry everything. I uh, know. I know. But um, you do a good job at it. <laughs> and uh, listen, thanks for coming on again. Uh, you know, this is a, a big name, folks, that um, you will continue to hear from. So um, if you... Um, would like to experience uh, Lubbock's top end, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, you can go to our website um, at Texas Tech and look under anesthesia and then the pain clinic, and it has um, uh, 
our contact information there. We're out in West Texas. It's not too far. The airplanes actually fly there uh, <laughs> if they're on time. Oh, it's like who's, who is it famous for? I mean, Buddy somebody, Holly was yeah. born in Lubbock, Texas. Yeah. So <laughs> that's our big claim to fame. My daughters actually went to the elementary school that Buddy Holly went to. Awesome. And so just look us up there and. Um, we can guarantee, I can guarantee that I will work 110% to uh, try to elucidate where your pain is coming from. I can't guarantee results, yeah. uh, but I yeah. guarantee I can try hard. That's all we can do, best we can do with what we got. And I appreciate your time and uh, safe travels. You're going to be going uh, to Europe a couple of times, uh, yep. South America. Yeah, going to Budapest next Friday, and then in September we've got oh, yeah. uh, Brazil, and then uh, a few meetings in November. Then I think uh, the tour is done for the year. Yeah, i got a few myself. So <laughs> thanks again, Miles. Take you care. Bet. Thanks. Thanks, Miles. Uh, great interview. And I just feel the appreciation of uh, a few minutes of your time. And I hope to share with uh, our recipients uh, more of these great interviews and have you back. It's always a real, I don't know, I always say it, but it's like plugging your head in a light socket. You you feel the uh, enthusiasm and you understand that the educational system is robust. It's ever-evolving and it's going to take pain medicine into the next millennial. If you folks in the audience uh, have a topic you'd like us to discuss, let us know. And really, if you want to be interviewed, I'd love to have you too. There's a lot of unique individuals that I've met in uh, my travels with ASIP and really special people. I hope everybody gets involved. I hope everyone looks at the calendar of the upcoming events to either hone your skills with the cadaver course or the controlled substance management practice management course or the unmatched uh, annual meeting uh, this year may las vegas not so bad so in closing uh, until we meet again uh, we are looking forward to some re- really um, i think exciting uh, opportunities for ASEP to get the educational experience out further. We just uh, recorded our last meeting, and uh, that was an interventional uh, meeting in Memphis, and the didactic session is being edited right now so that these course offerings will eventually be available. And so you'll be actually hearing from uh, the world's notables that were teaching the next day in the cadaver course um, and listen to their pre-cadaver didactics, which are fascinating. Um, And, you know, I I thank them all. And so we will talk to you soon.